Hey, today we're talking about white privilege and does black privilege exist? Let's talk shop. Good morning, good morning. Uh, I'm happy, I'm excited. <clears throat> I, uh, I left my laptop out one, one night and my son, who was very much a, a he risks everything. He's adventure goer. He likes to climb. He likes to step. There's no limits that he won't take. So in doing so, he stepped on my laptop. So the screen cracked. So I've been out of commission. I try using my phone, but it gets kind of exhausting trying to use that thing. But anyways, uh, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Shop. You know where I'm just trying to stir up the pot. Every I think every time I keep getting ideas on what to talk about, I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I want to talk about this. So, uh, recently I've had conversations with, uh, with people in the past and it's kind of a tough conversation to have at work. I have one guy I can talk about, I can talk about this with, uh, he's more of an understanding guy. Uh, but I've, I have been unable to talk about it with a lot of people because of how strong their bias is on it. You know, they have such a strong opinion on it that it's, there isn't a, there's no space for, for both. Like, I don't, I don't think I have such a strong opinion. Like, I think sometimes I'm, I'm on one side of the fence and on the other side of the fence. Uh, and then the person I'm talking to is only on one side of the fence. And they're like so far from the middle that there's no reason. So there's some days I'm like, I say a person got this because they were uh, this. So like, person got this job because they were white or this person got away with this because they were whatever. You know what I mean? So and that's my point of the show today. <clears throat> um, I've never, ever experienced it personally. I will say once of, of white privilege. And I told this story recently to my fiance and to one of my close coworkers. And I don't, I don't even think I've told a lot of people this story at the time when it, when I, when it happened, it was new to me. I never experienced it because of the area that I grew up in. Uh, just a little background. I grew up in the Detroit area when, when, uh, when I was in the third grade, my parents had moved into a new house that wasn't far from my old house, but it was like, it was, it was moving up. We were moving out of a predominantly black neighborhood into a more, um, you, you know, like biracial, like the, it was, it was, so we had white neighbors, we had black neighbors. So the, and the neighborhood was nice. Everyone cut the grass, you know, people kept up on this stuff. There were no garages collapsing, <laughs> no houses were on fire. So we had, we moved like not even a mile from where we were living, but it was, um, a much better area at the time. And, which, if I can remember, I will talk about that today. But we move into this uh, this new house, and <clears throat> there were some white people. Um, like, our, our three neighbors across the street on the left were, like, three white neighbors in a row. And uh, the one furthest left was, uh, he would be your, like, your worker... Uh, like 
I, I don't want to say redneck, but he like came outside with his like holy jeans, his white t-shirt with stains on it. His gut was sticking out so, you know, so far. Uh, like uh, he was just more of your, like your, the guy you would, I don't want to like say any racial bias, but he'd be your like contractor. He'd be your drywall putter. He just looked like that. Like a guy who got, didn't mind getting his hands dirty. And then directly across the street was our, he, I think he worked, um, for like Detroit's power plants, probably one of the top three. Um, uh, but he, he had, uh, he held himself very well. He had like hobbies of like, uh, Hot Wheels, Maxwell's cars or whatever they were at the time. So he was, uh, one of our cooler neighbors had no ever, never had a problem with us coming over and playing basketball in his backyard, uh, with his kids. And then just to the right of him was, uh, I don't even know their real names. We just called them Mr. and Mrs. C who were like the sweetest old couple in the neighborhood. They were probably the oldest couple in the neighborhood. And I mean, they were just so sweet. I remember times where uh, my brothers and I would walk home and when we got past the point where my brother couldn't fit through the milk chute to get us an house, if we forgot our key, uh, they would let us come over and they'd watch us. They'd watch us from across the street and see, know that we can't get in the house. And we were so prideful little kids. We didn't want to go knock on the door and say, Hey, can we wait here until our parents got home? So they'd, Say, come in the house, and if it's a cold day, they definitely come out. If it was a hot day, I think they're like, ah, the kids would be all right. But they tell us to come over and come in. They give us hot chocolate. Uh, And they just treated us well. Um, So I grew up, those are the three, the three white people I knew, or like the three houses of white people that I knew growing up. And they were always so sweet until I got to high school. Uh, when I went to high school, you know, my mother wasn't a big fan of the the, the Detroit public school system. So uh, we went to, Darius and I, we went to um, Henry Ford Academy, which was a school in Dearborn, inside the Henry Ford Museum Greenfield Village. And we, this school was still majority black, but it was, it was our hands-on first time experiencing kids that were white because the schools that I went to up until high school were predominantly black. Like we'd have like four or five kids in each grade that were white. So when I got to high school, I mean, it was only a hundred students per class. So the time I got there was only 200 students. I would say 20% were maybe 40% were white. And then like, you know, 5% Hispanic and the rest were black. I think there was, Obviously, went to school in Dearborn, so there were uh, a, a handful of uh, Middle Eastern culture because obviously Dearborn is a dominantly Middle Eastern culture, Middle Eastern dominated city. So that was my like, my experience, and none of them, obviously, those kids that went to school with us, if they they were racist that I had never experienced experienced it, they suppressed it. They did what they had to do to get through high school with predominantly black school and a predominantly um, like upper class living, so Middle Eastern and white. Uh, so that that was it for me. So um, when I, you know, graduated high school, and I went to Toledo, my brother and I we came to Toledo to go to school. My mother sent us here. She didn't send us. It was we volunteered. I got accepted to Lawrence College, so I moved here. So my brother and I, and then my cousin also moved with us. And later on, a close friend. Um. We lived here for about a year before we realized what kind of stress we were putting on our parents for them to pay for everything. Uh, they were paying our rent. 
They paid our car insurance. They We paid our cell phone bills. When we could, they most of the time gave us the money to pay our cell phone bills. They were still giving us allowance because we didn't have a job. You know, we I I had a job at the Boys and Girls Club that I quit when I moved to Toledo. And uh, I took a work-study program, which it's, it was like $1,000 a semester. So that's six months of $1,000. That's really not having any money. Um, so anyways, we decided to get jobs, to maybe do something, to pay for something, maybe our anything, food, whatever the case may be. Uh, so that's what we did. We, we, I got my first job at FedEx. Uh, I hated it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> not because of the work. I hated it because of the, the hours the, and the sleep and the me trying to balance school and the way they treated people. Um, but that's neither here nor there. The, we finally, my brother and I finally ended up at Wendy's and, uh, I wasn't good at anything. This is my second job. I had, I had no experience at, at doing anything, but I will say that everything that I learned to do, I become like good at, not great at, I just, I'm, I can become, there's some things I've become great at and there's everything else I just become good at. Like I actually, if I like doing it or I want to do it, I will learn to do it good. <laughs> uh, so I, we, when we got this job at Wendy's, Darius on the other hand has a, like I envy his work ethic. I have never adopted the work ethic that he had has until now, really. Like in the last three years is when my work ethic actually moved up because everything I've done is nothing I really want to do. I just was doing it to, you know, to 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 get by. So, um, but Darius has always like been adamant about being on time to work, you know, looking right for work, having his you know shirt tucked in, everything, wearing appropriate clothing at work. He's always been that way. Um, so he would he when he got to a job, he always wanted to be the better at everyone. So when I got there, I got, went, and we got both, uh, when we both came to Wendy's, um, they had me on grill first and we'd run out of burgers every day. Like they, we need a double. Uh, I got a uh, half a single. I got to flip it. Like I didn't never put it on enough meat. I don't know why. No one could teach me how to do it right, but I sucked at it. So then they moved me to sandwiches. The orders be like around the corner. So they took me off sandwiches. They put me on front cash register but because it was such a multi-task job they took me off that then they just put me on fries they're like just just dump the fries we'll pay you to just dump the fries uh and so so then um i became like everyone's bitch boy <laughs> like it got to the point where like just leave the fries alone don't hand out orders don't take orders like i could run the back cash register because i was good at math so i could just take money do the math and hand it out to people or like, you know what i mean i could do that that was the only thing i wanted to do but at the time i was working a lady who had been working at Wendy's for I don't know how long always ran the back register. So I couldn't do it until she left. And she was like, she was like seven to two and I was like 11 to four. So I'd get it for two hours every day. But so, uh, so everyone would always be telling me to grab stuff from the cooler freezer, grab fries, all that kind of stuff. And I was okay with that until I got good at stuff. Eventually I got good at everything. I can make sandwiches. I can take orders. I can even run the grill better than most people that were there. And, and one of my things was cleaning. I was such a clean freak. So when people would like be done, they'd ask me to come clean for them. I'm like, cool. Because my mother was very adamant about being thorough when we clean. So I've just adopted that attitude into everything. Like just, just being thorough. So anyways, I would clean for people. And one day, uh, one of the ladies who was working, she ran the she ran the back register. And she was sweet up until this point. And I don't know what it was. I don't know what triggered her. I don't know what experience it was. I don't know. 
But she asked me to do something for it, and then I do it for her. And then she asked me to do something else. And she's like, can you wash my dishes? Can you scrub my... I'm like, Jesus, what do I look like? And when I said that to her, I was I was a little frustrated, but because of my personality, it, it, I was, it was sounding silly. But I don't know how she took it, but she said an N-word. And I froze for a second. Like, this is the first time I've ever heard that word be used from a white person to a black person in the in the hard A or the hard R, not the soft A kind of way. So I I just stood there. I did, you know, I had so many weird feelings going through me. I didn't know what to think. Uh like like I can't believe you just said that. So like I don't know how much time like it went by at the time. But I was like, that's not cool. You know, like I was questioning it. Like that's that's not cool. Like and then I like caught myself like that's not cool, and I walked away from her. I didn't say anything to my boss. Uh, I didn't. I didn't say anything to anyone at the time for maybe a day. I didn't even tell my brother. I I don't know if it was because I don't want people not to like her, or I don't want her to lose her job, but it didn't sit with me well. So I remember I got emotional about it, and I called my mother up, you know, because that's my. That's my shoulder. <laughs> so I call my mom up and I'm telling her the story. And I can't remember how the conversation goes. I just know that next morning, my general manager came to me and she said she talked to my mother. I didn't even give my mother the phone number to Wendy's. She 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 did it. She said I talked to so-and-so about what she said to you the other day. And uh I just remember however it was handled wasn't what I expected because I know if I was a boss and someone was using derogatory terms towards another person, and let's say they're not a known racist or a prejudiced person, they were just having a bad day. I don't know if anyone's ever seen the movie Crash, but it talks it shows how people can have a frustration towards a race or people because of something that directly happened to them. Uh, so if you ever get a chance, you should see the movie Crash if you haven't seen it, because it does show a lot of what goes on today and what we hold people to, or how we should hold people to versus what we just assume the worst about them because it's how it's happened. But um, so I didn't want her to the woman to lose her job, but I wanted some type of action to come about where it gave me some type of, you know, security that like this isn't OK, like this wouldn't be acceptable to anyone. And if it was a person that had been there for a day, they're fired. If this person been there for like 10 years, and I, I know it's Wendy's, but some people, this is with their life. Uh, but if they've been there 10 years, they they need to be suspended or, you know, like, a, you know, a week without pay or something just to say, hey, this isn't all right. I know you are probably upset about a bad experience, but maybe you should go home and, you know, reflect and think about why you shouldn't do that at work. Whatever the case would be, that didn't happen. She was at work the next day. I didn't quit that job. Uh, I kept working. I just requested to work on a different shift. So um, they put me on a night shift. And that's where most of my close friends growing up in Toledo came from. Like all these high school kids were the night shift. You know, they worked the four to eight. So usually when I was leaving, they were coming in. So I never got to hang out with them. But this is how I met all these guys. And uh, <laughs> I actually got more hours that way. Because it went from four to eight to four to ten to four to close. So I was getting like good hours. Uh, but that to me was a was a little bit of what I felt like was <clears throat> white privilege at the time. Like 
if a I felt like at that time, if a black person would have done something um, to make someone feel uncomfortable, that uncomfortable at work, um, might might have been fired. Maybe not, but I felt that way at that time. T- today, other than that, I have never, I've really never experienced someone having white privilege over me, uh, or just white privilege, cause I, you know. Um, and just privileges, I don't know how people use it, but it's like a, it's, it's an advantage. It's, it's a, you, a special right, you know, like something you get for, for a person. Privilege can come from anything like the privilege are, are people who just have an advantage. That's, that's the best way. They have a special advantage over other people. So, uh. So when you say white privilege, that means they have an advantage over other people. The entire people have an advantage over other people. But that's where I think people have to stop that and start breaking down what what actually uh, privileges people have. So um, I was reading an article because, you know, like me, I got to do my research. Some of you, I can't remember the lady's name, but some of you may know her story where she, she was a she wanted to identify as black, uh, but she was a poor white woman who lived in uh, like outside Detroit or in Detroit and no, Iowa. She lived in Iowa and she was, uh, her parents couldn't afford her. So she was, um, fostered and like into the system and through going through the system, uh, while she was going through the system, she saw that she had different advantages for doing the exact same things as black people did that she was doing. So she said like her black friends would get caught stealing, but she would be doing the same thing. Or when she was in school, like kids who acted out would get suspended versus she would get into a gifted program. So she's talking about these, these things um, like growing up and do I say she's lying? No. Do I think she has a privilege? Probably. Do I think her privilege came because she was the only uh, person Um Amongst the rest of the black people, I don't know. I couldn't even say this. Is, this is what her experience is, and if she, if that's her experience, then that's what she can say. But a lot of us don't even experience it, and we and we say that that white people have white privilege, or you know what I'm saying, like. Um, and we also don't accept the fact that we have a privilege, but that white people don't have. <clears throat> and and it, when white people when white people say it, even if I'm going to say it, it's gonna it sounds racist, but it's. To only to people because to me it's really not racist. I was reading an article on Facebook, not an article, a Facebook post, and they po- like someone had reposted what the person had said. So it's just like a screenshot. They scratched out the name, so you just saw the words. But a person said like, "Why can't I embrace my white culture, and and like have gatherings with with my you know people of my kind without it being considered uh like a like an act of, of racism." And so then some person who was white said, oh, because we oppressed black people and we enslaved them and all this, that, and the third. And I'm just thinking, like, oh, my God, <laughs> shut up. Like, you're pandering to us. You just, you, I don't know if you want to be accepted in the black community, but that's exactly what you're doing. You're trying to gain confidence from the black people or you want to seem like you're not racist. Almost seems saying it is, like, just as racist as, as, as like, pandering to it. So there's two, there's types of privileges. I don't want to say that the, the white privilege doesn't exist, 
because like I said, I've experienced it once. Um, when I looked it up, like when white privilege actually started and it, and it talked about like such like, um, obviously it starts at the police brutality, which I, I want to touch on that. If I have time today, it talks about, it talks about, uh, you know, like if you went into stores, the products that were in the stores were, were advertised and marketed to white people. So you can find like, you know, like hair grease or something like that, or hairsprays, you can find it for a, a person of color. So those are the type of privileges, you know, moving into a neighborhood, being able to move into a neighborhood, um, uh, easily versus, um, you know, having some type of issues because of color. So, so does it, so does white privilege exist? Maybe to some, for some people, not everyone experiences it, but you know, that's what I I saw early from, from earlier uh, white privileges. And then later on, it became the, the police killings are, are most of it. And like recently the, the protesters that when the armed guys went down to the, state capital to protest. Like they're saying, oh, that's right privilege because if black people would have rallied up with a bunch of guns, they would have been shot. So, uh, but it's like, we're who are we mad at about it? Like, who are we mad at about it? If it does not, if it's, it's this, there's no, uh, there's no concrete thing for white privilege. It's just an idea of observation. Now, of course, obviously, in the seventies or whenever, you know, Walmart decided to start, uh, decided to start putting up, you know, hairbrushes and combs for black people and, and marketing and do rags and all that kind of stuff. Uh, when, whenever, whenever they started to do that, maybe that's to me, that's probably what it stopped. They also talked about, uh, like TV and how you watch, you know, when you watch TV in the, in like the nineties, uh, you know, it was majority white casts. So, and it'd be like one black guy, which it was true. Like, um, but there was also Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Family Matters, Living World. Uh, so <laughs> in Living Color, Cosby Show. So they weren't, you know, you didn't, there was like one per five, every five years, but there was still enough shows to say that we were on TV. Someone was, someone was getting, you know, putting people in entertainment that were of color. So. Um, we also dominated like all the sports. I think the NBA is like ninety percent black, and NFL is like seventy percent black. Uh, obviously, it's probably lesser in, in the the nineties, but it's when did it start to increase? Uh, <clears throat> but to talk about like white people, they say that they can't they can't get together, they can't embrace their culture. You know, if they're Polish or 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 German, uh, I think Jewish they're still white, but they have a like you know they have a different look, but uh, I can't think of everyone at the top of my head of every um, white culture, but they should be able to um, embrace their culture because it's not. Yes, part of part of who you are is your your history of of your your race. Now, I know black people don't get to go back that far and you know tie our bloodlines to different parts of the world you know, like American Africans, not like people or American black people, not like black people from like different countries that can actually look back and, and, you know, go back and end history and check their bloodlines or whatnot. But I don't want to sound like I'm rambling, but there is a, there is a, a, a wrong thing about that, that black people shouldn't get upset if, and I know white people shouldn't get upset either, but black people shouldn't get upset about 
a, a culture that wants or a white uh, ethnicity that wants to to gather to celebrate their culture because it's their culture. Aren't you supposed to embrace that? You, I guess they got to embrace it in silence. They just can't do it in front of other people, right? That's wrong. Uh, and then I don't want to babble on too long about because I don't have a whole lot of time. You know, my kids about to wake up. But I don't want to babble too long about uh, white privilege. I do, however, want to talk about um, black privilege. <laughs> I'm laughing because I feel like, you know, if this was live and I was on TV, there'd be a, and, you know, someone was sitting down, like doing something, not just having a TV on as, as background noise, and I bust out black privilege and they're just going to, like, err and look up. But there is, there is a black privilege. <laughs> There's this ability to say and do what we want, and there's no consequence. And and then when people say and do what they want, they aren't black or Hispanic for some reason, because Hispanic people can drop in bombs. I will never understand that. Uh, but when someone outside of the black do say what they want, they're like we turn to look at them and say, "No, uh, not today," you know. Um, for example, I've, I've grew up listening to nineties rap, early two thousands rap. I, my rap taste has just took a deep dive off just because of what rappers rap about now and how they talk and how they hold, you know, they hold a standard for young people who listen to their music and make it seem like everything they do is okay. But I just want you to think of the worst, the worst I'm sorry, the most popular artists and what they represent for their culture. And I want you to think about that for every every uh, race. So think about your most popular white bands or white artists. Think about your most popular black bands, black artists, country music, hip-hop artists, all those kind of people and what they, how they look and how they carry themselves and how many people see them and think that that's okay. Um. Uh, and then on a side note, um, well, actually, the point I'm trying to make is I think of like, uh, and this just pops in my head because I followed this artist for a long time up until like recently, just because of what he's doing to himself and, and how he talks about, um, you know, how he talks about being, he doesn't want to be a, uh, a role model. Well, don't make, become famous because once you have made yourself public, you don't have to be a role model, but you should t- accept that and, and push people in the right direction. A lot of artists change over time and they grow. This one has not. And that's Lil Wayne. Uh, he just looks horrible now. Like, I don't know what he did to himself, but he just, he's one of my favorite artists for a long time. I thought he put out really good music. But anyways, in his music, he talks about killing and dropping M-bombs and B-words and hoes and all this kind of stuff. And that's a language that that black people get away with uh, saying. They can talk like that in public and and be, and be loud and obnoxious. And expect it not to grab anyone's attention in a negative light. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen with white people, but I see it happen more in black people in the places I go than I see with white people. I've seen them do it too. I've seen other races do it too. I just see it more with black people, and it's that that stereotype is associated with us now. And it's very, uh, it gives you a, a uncomfortable feeling. Like I don't like loud people anywhere. If anyone knows me, I'm. I'm goofy and maybe like noticeable, but 
uh, like you if you're not within five feet of me you probably can't hear me and that's you got to be like two feet within me to hear me because i don't talk that loud <clears throat> but uh but we can like we can say what we want and then sell to the majority of the world so like little wayne makes a song talks about killing and death and and the n-word and all this kind of stuff and then and then he puts it on a track and then that track goes you know viral and then there's more white people in the world than black people. So majority of the people, I don't even know if people know that, but if you become a mainstream artist, majority of your money comes from a white person because they're a majority of the population. So when you look at TV and you watch the concerts, even if it's a black artist, majority of the people at the concert are white and they're rapping the lyrics to the song. You think, you think they're in the car with their friends and they're, and they're, you know, four white friends and they're sitting in the car and they're rapping little Wayne and they drop an in bomb and everybody's like, Hey, you can't say that. No, that's not what's going on. But we can. <laughs> when I say we, I say black people. We can. We can say it, and it's not a problem. So don't say there's no black privilege. <laughs> you know, we can get away with saying in front of people, oh, she got that, or he got that job because he was white. They didn't want to hire a black man. But a white person say, oh, he got that job. He was black. Shut up, racist. That's how it would go. That's how the conversation would go. So <laughs> there is, there is a there is my eyes, a white privilege. I have never experienced it. But there is a black privilege that I experience almost every day. Um, I have learned that if I want something from somebody or don't want something from someone, and I'm saying like, I don't want to hear people like I get it. My family has been adapted to using the, uh, the N word. And, but I have like slowly put it out of my vocabulary. So now when I'm in front of my white friends, I don't say it that way. They can never say it. And I can hold them accountable for saying it. I also don't say other terms like cracker or hunky. Like I don't use those terms. Not even when I'm being funny. So, uh, anyways, moving on. <laughs> uh, I, I, I want to talk about uh, two more things before I get out of here. I hate sometimes I, I start rambling and, and uh, I go on for too long of time because I feel like I lose, I lose you after a certain amount of time. Two things. Have you experienced... Um, living in a suburb or a, uh, a area that's predominantly white and the black people start to move in and then the white people start to move out. I just want to ask that as a question. And then uh, the second question is, um, does anyone know who, let me see if I can find it. Uh, the computer's moving slow. Oh, well. Uh, so like, you know, I do my research. I like to look up stuff before I start speaking out the side of my neck because I don't want to sound too ignorant. And I do know that the numbers show that police killings, um, the way they change stats t- to pander to um, African-Americans or black people to say that uh, that pe- pl- police kill more black people than wh- whites or that you have you have a higher risk of killing a black person than you do a white person. But that's people shaping their numbers because the numbers say that more blacks or more whites are killed less than blacks. And uh, 
and the fact that they keep saying another unarmed man. Let, let me just say this. I'm not upset. I just want you to know that if you don't look these numbers up, the media can push you to believe everything. If you don't do your own research and start having your own ideas, I just wanted to look it up. Like, do police just only kill unarmed <clears throat> black people? Like, that's crazy. Like, you, there's hard to believe that it would hard. It would be hard to believe that p- police weren't racially driven if they're only killing unarmed black men when they kill. If you know, in their kills. I just want to say that I think blue is a problem versus whites is a, is a problem. But I come across this this website because I wanted to see how many unarmed whites and Mexicans have been killed by, by police. And it's called mappingpoliceviolence.org. And this is a, this is a, um, they're trying to get banged. Like this website is trying to help to prevent people from having guns. They're saying that Police kill more people in states that have a more permissive um, gun laws rather than the states that don't. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think whatever you can say what you want and tie those numbers together, but police just shouldn't be killing people just because they are on high alert. So, however, I do think there there needs to be a more extensive training for police officers. And I also think that there should be a harder. Um, they need to come down police harder for like showing acts of, of violence unnecessarily or can they can they justify i know it's, it's such a hard thing to do because they are putting their lives on the line but it's, they need to be able to justify what actions they have what decisions they make at the time i know everything when it becomes a police instincts click come in and all these and your survival instincts come in and all that kind of stuff takes an effect but uh i just want you to know there's only 27 days in 2019 where police did not kill someone and you can go to this website and it'll give you like all these stats um, of of where people have got, been shot and were killed and uh, the that there's no correlation between, which I think they're just doing that just to pander to people again, but there's no correlation between the places that are violent versus where police are killed, like, or police killings have happened. So they're saying that police killings happen in less violent areas than violent areas, which would mean an experience. That's, that's what I get from that. You know, like I think if someone in the inner city has more experience with a more violent, uh, I would say they come across more violent actions rather than a suburb city just because of the amount of crime that happens in the inner city versus the the suburbs. And so when people are used to it and have this experience, we all make a different decision because we, you know, we live by our experiences versus a person who has no experience and, and just acts on pure survival instinct. And it's like you or me, bro, you or me. And uh, I, I'm looking at this website. So I look up, uh, like, I didn't want to look at race. I just wanted to look at how many people were killed by gunshots, beaten, or have been tasered. <laughs> so I just want you guys to know there's two people that stood out to me more than any anyone else. Uh, one was, and let me, I mean, someone tell me if they know about this person, but his name is Jason Lewis. Um, Jason Lewis was a 40-year-old, 40-year-old white male who was beaten to death by the police department uh, in 2014. I don't remember hearing about Jason Lewis in 2014. I'm just saying, <laughs> never, never had, had it, like met mainstream news. And this would be something to report based off what we're reporting, right? We're always, police are always killing, or people of, of, of non-color are always killing people of color. Uh, and it's always on arms. And it makes, you know, it, it, it becomes viral. I don't know who shoots it the first time, but it becomes viral. But uh, 
the cops, I think it's still an investigation. I couldn't, it's so little information about it. I don't know if the police are still in the investigation, but the family is obviously seeking um, something to get out of losing uh, Jason Lewis. So that was one thing that I'm like, how does that not report it? And of course, I, I just looked in uh, the state. So I just looked in Texas. I didn't go anywhere else. So this is just Texas um, uh, by itself. And the other name was Cody Point, which was Cody Point was also in Texas. And this just happened recently. I haven't seen it on the news yet. Maybe I haven't seen it on the mainstream news. Like you can go to Texas local news and find it from their website, but you couldn't find it. I couldn't find it on on um, whatever the, the daily, whatever USA Today TV or whatever. But anyways, um, a man by the name of Cody Point was shot and killed by the uh, Houston Police Department or officer after stealing his taser. It was a white cop shot a black guy, but they didn't make mainstream news. Why? Because the, the black guy was being an idiot. Um, they're still in an investigation. Like there's like they they are looking at the the police officers, and maybe some information will come out, and maybe they can they won't be justified. But right now it's justified. The guy was drunk. He gets out of the car. He, the police is trying to arrest him for being after he did the sobriety test. He then like struggled to arrest the the Cody Point, and then he like. The officer pulled out the taser before he pulled out his gun and tried to taser him. I, I haven't seen the picture of the cop. He must have not been in, in good shape, or maybe Cody Point was in excellent shape because he got the taser from the cop. So then instead of instead of the cop like thinking, oh, no, he's got the taser, just let him go. No, he, he pulled his gun out and shot him. But in that case, I would have too because I don't know what, what your intentions are after that if I don't you know, want to defend myself. So... But that hasn't made mainstream news because it's not it's not it's not a pandering kind of a situation. It's not pointing out something that does not truly exist. <clears throat> um, so just pay attention to these things. I, th- I think that every time I think every time that um, there's a racial t- um, issue with whites and blacks that involve death or beatings or something like that. It makes it to mainstream news so that they can have something to talk about, so that black people can be like, "Oh, this happened. Uh, we need to, we need to march. We need to get together, hold up signs." But my next thing, I'm gonna look at how many police have been killed by armed suspects, so we can say, well, "Let's get together, let's march." <laughs> um, I'm making light of this at the end of it because I really think that once we, as our people, become more educated. Um, pandering won't be a tactic that mainstream media can use or politicians can use to win over people, win over votes or anything like that. Cause that's what I think it's mostly used for just to keep, um, a, a people, uh, oppressed and, and where you want them to be. You don't want them to be educated. You want them to believe everything they're being told versus, uh, looking up their, their information and teaching some things that they can't be taught by a book. Um, and then I just want to say this really quick before I get out of here. I just want you to think about it. When my parents moved into that neighborhood, it was a half and half, uh, white neighborhood. Now, obviously you move into a neighborhood, you make a little bit more money, you move into the next neighborhood. You keep moving until you just, you know, you find the house of your dreams. Uh, and you, you feel comfortable. You can retire here. 
and you can die there, in a, in a sort of speak. That's how I think. I think some people move into houses to you know start building credit, start learning things, and they move on. That's what I've done so far. I think we're in our ultimate house. But when my parents moved into their house in Detroit, and it was a half and half, just our block itself. I don't know about the around the corner and, and whatnot, but there was there was the white families that lived there. And I just know the three that lived across the street. There was some that were down the street and further down the street on the corner and that kind of stuff. But uh, as the, I remember Mr. and Mrs. C had an immaculate yard. Flowers, they planted flowers annually. They cut the grass. The backyard had like these, like this cool, like, um, like fence that had like the, the plants growing, like the vines growing through it. It was, it was beautiful. John, who lived right across the street, kept his yard always intact. And then Tom, <laughs> who lived, he never cared. <laughs> I mean, he kept his grass cut, but he didn't do anything to his yard. Uh, but they took care of things. They took care of the house. Um, their house always looked nice. They, they, you can see them on like out, you know, cleaning the house with the sprays and whatnot. And then when they, when uh, I think John still lives there, but when Mister and Mrs. C passed, um, a black family had moved in. I don't know if they're renting or buying. I don't know, but they're not taking care of the house. I mean, it looks jacked up over there. And there's always multiple, like cars over there. Um. I don't want to say that in a negative way. I just want to say that when you go to the suburbs, there's there's very little there's little to no gatherings. I mean, there's gatherings, obviously birthday parties and stuff like that, but it's it's not like uncomfortable because, like I said, my neighbor the other day was doing her cutting her grass, doing her yard. She had her music on. She had country music on. I'm not the biggest country fan. I listen to country music, but she's out there having a good time, and it doesn't bother me. I just want her to know when I turn my music up. And I'm outside doing my yard work. It shouldn't bother her. But if she never did that, then I would be hesitant to to turn my music on because I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. That that that, that it, it's not like a necessity to me. I don't have to have my music blazing when I'm outside. It's just fun, like to be outside relaxing and have you know your favorite songs on. It's probably and it keeps you going, like as you're you know motivated as you're working and, and doing your yard work. But uh, it's you know it's a little give and take with the neighbors. But I'm just noticing that when. A specific group of people move into an area that that area uh, value decreases. But I'm I'm saying that based off experience. I'm saying that I lived in that my parents' house for what 18 years before I moved out, and the first the f- I'm sorry, I lived there for like 13 years. The first eight years, it was just green grass. No violence, no shootings, um, none of that. And then, and and the, when the white people started moving out and more black people started moving in, that all changed. That's that's my experience. That's what experience is telling me. And we always say, you know, we make fun of the issue, and some of us take it to heart when people say that there goes a the neighborhood. But there it goes. Once was a, a lovely neighborhood. The hood moved into it, and it's not. It's now the hood. And for the, you know, I didn't exactly grow up in the hood hood, you know, but after a while it became that way. And like cars started getting broken into. I mean, I think my mother's car before we got a driveway was stolen twice. 
but we didn't have a driveway, so it's already parked in the street. And we have a, you know, our we have a decent sized yard, so you couldn't hear it. But we got a driveway, it came to a halt. Um, but houses were getting broken into. It's all these things that are now happening that weren't happening, all of a sudden are now happening. And and we want to say that, oh, it's um, white people don't want to live around black people. Well, black people don't want to live around black people. Black people are going to keep stealing their stuff. <clears throat> so um, not to say that people don't get their houses broken into in the suburbs and whatnot, but it's, it's less likely to happen. <clears throat> or it's not as happening as much. You know, I, I still, because of habit, Jennifer does too. We lock our door. You know, we close the windows and all that kind of stuff. You know, just just being safety precaution. But like, what how, what's the risk right now? I mean, how high is the risk for someone walking in here uh, and doing something? It's low. Versus my mother telling me not too long ago of, of a of a creep pulling into the driveway and live there and trying to get out and talk to her. You know. So I'm not drinking any liquor. This is coffee. It's early, y'all. Anyways, I just want you guys to think about that. I know I, I stir the pot a lot. It needs to be stirred. People need to really start waking up and stop hearing the stay woke to something blind. Um, I do want to uh, say that I had a conversation with a close relative of mine and uh, my mother. And two things that I got from this, my, my, my close relative asked me, what is the change that, how do you see this change? You know, black people and white people and how we, you know, coexist. And I don't know yet. I really don't. I thought about it and I don't know. I just know that there's going to be a time where uh, people are more educated and can't blame another people for being held back. We just can't. Even if it's the, if that's the actual issue, then we need to find another way. And then uh, I feel like once, as I'm going down this path, I have distanced myself between me and a lot of other black people because they don't, you know, they're they're thinking I'm been, you know, been brainwashed by the whites. But no white person, other than the ones I talk to, have any influence over the information that I look and find. I started like I just started one day to just start looking up stuff, and that's how I just started finding stuff. It's like this all this information is easily easily accessible to everyone. And we choose not to look it up because we'd rather be told than teach ourselves. And uh what my mother said to me was very inspirational the other day. Cause uh she knows how I am. She knows I'm stubborn. She knows once I set my mind to something. I mean, it's probably a 0.001% chance that you're going to change my mind. And it, you got to come correct when you when you do it. Jennifer has a, a larger influence over me because I just don't want her upset. <laughs> but when it comes to changing my mind, it's, it's little you can do. Um, but she said that was always going to be like one of my greatest qualities and one of my poorest qualities. But uh, she said one of the, my teacher gave me a poster once and it had a cat on it. And the poster said, uh, what is it? It said, stand up for what you believe in, even if you stand alone. So until next time, guys.